I have this Benjamin Franklin quote I like to use because it's, it just uh, rolls off the tongue. He said, money makes money, and the money that money makes, makes more money. Does homeownership seem out of reach for you? Is your only plan to get a down payment on a home is to buy a lottery ticket? Hi, my name is Kendall Young, and this is Love Your Digs. Love it! A podcast dedicated to giving you the tips, resources, and information that will help you love your digs more. Today's guest is Matt Crisofoli. He is a fee-only financial planner, and his entire job is to help people realize their financial dreams. He's sharing some tips and tricks that might surprise you on how you, yes you, can get a down payment on a home. Before we get into that, let's jump into the Digs Marketing Minute for October 26, 2018. This has been a really busy week for us here at Diggs. We launched a new listing in Shadow Hills that's being that's really popular, and we took two more listings just yesterday. And quite frankly, the inventory levels have risen dramatically in our corner of the world. I'll be dropping some charts into the show notes if you want to see the numbers. But essentially, we have doubled our inventory levels from uh, the summertime. So as an example, in Glendale as a city, uh, in May, we were looking at 1.1 months worth of inventory, and now we're looking at 2.4 months worth of inventory, so more than double. Um, Some of the higher uh, areas up in towards towards La Crescenta, it's not quite as dramatic, but the message here is that if you're a home seller, it's still a seller's market, there's still a lack of inventory, okay? There's still not enough homes to go around, but levels are rising and the smart home seller is gonna be cautious about their list price relative to the condition of their home and the other listings that are on the market. You need to look like you are absolutely best in show or the buyers might just pass you by. Well, that's it for our Marketing Minute for October 26, 2018. Now, let's get into our conversation with Matt so we can find out how you, yes you, can buy a home. Hey Matt, I am so excited to have this conversation. You and I have been talking about this conundrum of how an average human being can accumulate enough money for a down payment for a while. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing some of your thoughts about that. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to impart some wisdom. So. Ooh, ooh, which is, of course, uh, saying that you have wisdom to impart. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I like to think so. Okay. So I, I thought we would start with the eat your vegetables. Everybody knows is what they should be doing to save money. Um, and so we'll start with the common sense stuff, and then we'll kind of like morph into some of the more ninja style tactics of maybe getting some money for a down payment. Does that sound good to you? Sounds great. Okay. All right. So let's talk about eat your vegetables. Gosh darn it. Okay. What, so yeah, go. this is this is um, this like you said. This is the stuff that m- most people know, or their parents or grandparents have told them. Um, but it's the, the stuff that you really don't want to accept. Um, however, uh, sprinkled in there will, is, is some, some, some tips I hope will, uh, the listeners will find helpful. Okay. Um, the first thing that I think is, is really helpful is to sort of automate the savings process. For most people, 
uh, saving to buy a house is not something they think of and then just turn around and do in the next month. It's a long process where um, you're you're looking for your price range, you're looking for your area, and over time you're socking away excess excess income or you're you're sacrificing to save that excess income. Um, and I'm a firm believer in automating that savings process, sort of out of sight, out of mind. Uh, have that income go into a separate bank account or a separate savings account, and just let it accumulate there until you're ready to pull the trigger. Well, okay, Matt, that sounds like lovely. But if I wanted to save a 20% down payment on an average um, priced home here in Glendale, we're talking like 150 G's. Like I'm going to save that by just having a little auto savings? So that's, that's, I think that's the backbone of this uh, is, is the automation process. But um, I think the, the other eat your vegetables, as you said, uh, tips are um, deferring excess income. I think we, we, a lot of us either get bonuses or raises mm-hmm. annually, um, but our cost of living for the most part remains relatively consistent if we want it to. Right. Our rent stays relatively consistent. Um, our, our grocery bills stay relatively consistent. And when you get those extra bonuses or raises, just don't even think about them. Stick them in that, that savings account and, and get them out of your checking account so you're not tempted to spend it. Got it. Got um, it. And then uh, yeah. you and I talked about this a little bit, the idea that the first time you put in your deferred earnings, it's like you're looking at you know a few hundred bucks or whatever. You're thinking, well, that's not even worth that's that's going nowhere. But if you keep doing that, it'll compound. Absolutely. So uh, two two points on that. Um, one, most people open up their savings account at their primary bank, which is typically uh, Wells Fargo, Chase, Bank of America, or like U.S. Bank, a, a very big, well-known bank. Mm-hmm. Those banks don't pay high interest rates on their savings accounts because they don't have to. They have the the reserves in their bank account that they don't need to. Uh, in their in the company's account, they don't need to offer high savings rates. If you go to an online bank such as Ally or Discover or Capital One, you'll get much more uh, interest uh, per month or per year than you'll get at your typical Bank of America or Chase, and and by order of of tremendous magnitude. For example, a savings account at like a Bank of America will pay you 0.1 percent. Or 0.01 percent, depending on the time, God. versus which literally, as you said, is pennies versus uh, uh, an account at one of the online banks I mentioned. Which right now it's it's um, interesting interest rate environment, but right now is somewhere between 1.8 and 2 percent. So just not even hard numbers. You can see how much greater one of those online savings accounts is, and that's where that's where those that automated savings should be going into one of those higher interest savings accounts. Got it. So eat your vegetables by, by, you know, don't spend crazy and to put aside your deferred earnings and make sure you put that into the highest interest account that you can find. Right. Um, And then believe in the power of compounding. If you keep doing that over time in the beginning, it's very little, but then it starts to add up. Absolutely. Benjamin, Benjamin Frank, I have this Benjamin Franklin quote I like to use because it's, it just, uh, rolls off the tongue. He said, money makes money and the money that money makes, makes more money. Um, <laughs> and that's essentially compound interest. That's uh, each month interest is earned and then put in that same account. And then the next month, the calculation is based off of the principal savings plus that interest that was earned in the previous month and so on and so forth. And, and, it, and it compounds. 
Um, you know, if you ever want it, we all intellectually understand compounding, but um, I found it helpful to read the book. Um, I think the compound effect by Darren Hardy. And it, it was, I mean, you're sitting there like the whole book on the compound effect. And it's like, well, yeah, actually reading the book took you from intellectually accepting it to emotionally understanding that it really does work. Absolutely. I think um, we had uh, to, to help illustrate this. Um, we had a client who they were saving for a house was, was a, uh, you know, relatively short-term goal. It was a, it was a five-year goal. And in five years, they were saving $2,000 a month, which mm-hmm. sounds like a lot. Um, but if you're, if you're, uh, getting by and, you know, two people living in a one bedroom apartment, um, <laughs> and you're not, you're, you're not, uh, spending, uh, superfluously, you'll, you, that's, it's definitely an, an attainable goal. Um, and setting that money aside, amounted to it was somewhere between 12,000 and 16,000 of additional savings above and beyond just the uh, $2,000 a month that they were saving. So over the period of time they were saving in their account, um, the interest alone amounted to 12 to $16,000 of additional savings. Um, and I mean, you, you sell houses all the time. This that's, that's closing wow. costs. That's uh, a new bathroom. That's something that something additional for doing nothing else except putting your money in the right account. And then if they leave that 16,000 in there, it will grow and compound and it's just going to get faster and faster the longer you do this. Absolutely. That's that that's super awesome. Okay, so that's eating our vegetables. What is one step up from that? One one step up from that um and and you and I discussed this. I think I think that home buying is a extremely personal uh, decision. Um, it might not make financial sense to do some of these, these next uh, suggestions, but understanding how to do them and how to do them properly um, will help marry the financial decision with the emotional decision of wanting to buy a house and wanting to buy a house yesterday, wanting to get in there and you know, it might be to to get married or it might be to start a family. There's certain goals that we set for ourselves that begin and end with being in our own space. And I think that, um, you know, when we're taking into consideration somebody's decision, it, it factors in both the financial and the emotional. Um, so it almost sounds it. like you're saying that if you looked at it like a cold, hard business person, you might say, look, it's not a good idea to buy a house. But there's more to it than that, and you should pay attention to it. Absolutely. We, I mean, this is we, we, we say we do personal financial planning, and this is one piece of that because this is a very personal decision. So with that said, here are some, um, some I don't want to say outside of the box, but some little known things you can do to help you get a little bit further in saving for that down payment. Um, the first of which is that if you've already started saving for retirement, um, maybe you have an individual retirement account, uh, often referred to as an IRA, uh, and you have savings because you're in your late 20s or your early 30s and you've been setting a little bit aside and that compounding effect has kind of shown what it can do. And now all of a sudden you have a, an, an individual retirement account with um, $10,000 in it. Well, you can withdraw that $10,000 from that IRA to purchase your home. And while that would normally be subject to a 10% penalty, 
for the first time home buyer, uh, it's actually, it's actually, there is no 10% penalty on it. You'll still have to pay income taxes, but it, it, um, you waive that 10% penalty. So that saves you a thousand bucks. Um, and first time home buyer as a uh, clarification is a misnomer. You can actually use it as long as you haven't bought a house within the last two years. Oh, so yeah. So if you had a house and maybe you lost it in the downturn in 07, um, and now you're like, okay, I've recovered. I feel great. I want to put roots down. I don't, you know, I'm tired of my landlord bouncing me out of my place yet again. You could do that. Absolutely. Um, and, and, uh, also if you're married, um, you and your spouse can each take out the $10,000, assuming you've never done the $10,000 withdrawal before, because that that's a lifetime limit per the IRS. Um, but assuming you haven't done it within the last two years or, uh, sorry, haven't purchased a house within the last two years and have never taken that 10000 out of your IRA, okay. um, you and your spouse combined would be able to come up with a $20,000 of, of extra down payment. Which is, which is cool. Now, twenty k is is a good start. Um, are there other ways that one could accumulate or, or, or get down payment? Yes, definitely. So the next way, and, and I think this is going to be more and more common because housing prices are more expensive. People are beginning their careers and becoming more established in their careers sometimes before they buy their house and start their family. I think that's kind of the trend. Um, we're not 18 years old anymore getting married and having kids. It it's, ends up being late 20s, early 30s um, on the early side now. Um, people definitely do it later in life as well. Um, but with that comes more job security. And maybe at that point, you work with a company that has a 401k. Yes, you, that's true. You can withdraw. Uh, you can, sorry, not withdraw. You can take a loan from that 401k to help pay for um, that down payment. And most people are familiar with the concept of a loan from your 401k. Um, but what's interesting about a loan from your 401k if you're using it to purchase um, a house is that you get a little bit more favorable terms. You get to spread that repayment out over uh, 30 years if your plan allows it. Um, and the interest rate is pretty comparable to what your interest rate on your mortgage would be. Wow. So, so it, it really sounds like if you have an access to a 401k, that is a fabulous route to getting a down payment. Absolutely. I think it's, it's, um, and remember if somebody has a 401k, generally they're putting savings in and their employer is putting savings in for them. Um, and if all of that is, is considered employee money, all of that is, is part of that calculation. Um, the caveat to that, again, this is going to be more likely for somebody who's a little bit more established and, and maybe is buying their house, um, in their early thirties or, or mid thirties is that, you can only take the maximum 401k loan you can take is $50,000 um, or half of the vested balance, whichever is less. Oh. So you'd have to have $100,000 in the account to borrow 50. Um, but okay. if you have 50, you can borrow 25. Okay. Okay. All right. So this is, this is, we're getting, we're getting up there in terms of amounts that we might be able to access. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about the bank of mom and dad. Honestly, I think this is, you know, I'm a parent. I know you're going to have uh, parents that are listening. And the idea of helping my child is, is just second nature. So I don't think um, we should be ashamed to ask mom and dad. But I think that um, to make them feel better, to make us feel better about it, we can use the, there's third party services available that essentially track the loan for you. 
um, for a nominal nominal cost. And essentially, you'd be allowed to, uh, you'd tell them about the loan. Mom, mom and dad would give you the loan. You put it on your down payment. It's structured in such that, that you owe them interest. Um, there's tax reporting involved in it. Um, but that third-party involvement sort of makes this transaction a little more arm's length and can bring comfort to mom and dad, realizing that they'll going to get their money back eventually. And um, <laughs> Not that they don't trust you, of course. Right, no, of course not. Um, and money to the recipient. And, and that, that extra layer of authority, I think, makes it so um, the, the recipient of the loan understands that this is not one of those things that you're just not so going to pay back. And how would, if you wanted to do something like that, and it's like you, you'd like just a little bit of an arm's length from borrowing from the bank of mom and dad, how do you find a third party company like what you, what you mentioned? Um, so one that I've seen in the past is called Loankin, L-O-A-N-K-I-N. And um, I'm sure there's multiple services like this. Uh, that's just one I've seen used in the past for, for um, a, a family loan. Um, and I mean, I, I think it's great that the tax reporting is all taken care of. And it's, it's sort of just becomes another monthly bill that uh, you'd want to pay. Um, That's interesting. I actually had, I did a, sold a house to a couple. They, they did essentially a co-buy with the parents. Um, and the parents were buying it as a second home. Um, the kids were buying it and they, they worked out a whole bunch of things prior to buying. Like, you know, if we were to sell, what, how would we divide things? Who pays for improvements? Who gets the tax write-offs? There's a number of issues that you can bring to the table so that you don't feel like you're just taking mom and dad's handout. I think that's fantastic. I think that's a great way to do it. As long as everyone's upfront, open and transparent about what's going on, there's no expectation that they're they're giving it to you unless they absolutely want to, then I think uh, arrangements like that are, are a great way to get somebody younger into a property, build their equity. Um, and potentially upside potential for the parents as well, uh, depending on on how that's um, worked out. Plus, if you're the younger person in question, having a, a, a more formalized agreement like this, you may feel a little bit less like you are under mom and dad's thumb. Right? Absolutely, totally. One one other thing about that is that um, parents parents can forgive loans. To the amount of whatever the gift tax exemption is for the year, so essentially that's a very complicated way to say they can give you a large gift by essentially forgiving your debt. Um, nobody has to report it; it's just sort of internal. As long as it's below the uh, IRS gifting limit for the year, which in 2018 I believe is fifteen thousand um, dollars, a fifteen fifteen thousand dollar exclusion. So is this the sort of thing that you would check with your financial planner, with your tax accountant? Who would you consult on that kind of thing? That's a good question. I think um, this is something that we help clients with all the time. I think CPAs, uh, tax preparers are, are well aware of kind of these things as well. And I know mortgage brokers, um, you know, they want to get you in the house as, as much as you want to be in that house, as much as the real estate agent wants you in that house. Um, so they're definitely uh, kind of they keep themselves abreast of all these different strategies that they can use to help um, get somebody into their, their dream house. 
So, so let's, let's kind of like bring this home because we've been talking about theory, right? We've been talking about theoretically you could get money for a down payment here, here, or here. Have you had any personal experiences? I mean, you're a financial planner of, of high regard. Um, you're younger than me anyway, which is not saying much, but I'm assuming that you have maybe worked with some younger people. Can you give us like a sense of, uh, of someone's experience of wanting to hit a financial goal and feeling like they could never do it and what you might have done to help them? Absolutely. So I think the first, uh, and I have a couple people who have used basically all the strategies that we talked about. Um, you know, I have somebody who didn't buy their first car, has never bought a new car and didn't buy their first car until their forties because they were putting money aside to invest in real estate. So they were eating their vegetables, right? They were cutting back. They weren't splurging. They were basically saving the money that they were making to reach this, this higher goal. It's, you know, that's living in a smaller apartment that you don't want to be living in or that you've outgrown many years before. Um, and, you know, and so how long did they do that? And what did they wind up buying once they finally were able to buy? So that's, yeah, um, it was uh, four years, um, which in the scheme of things is a pretty short period of time. Um, and they ended up getting into a nice condo that I think is, is a great first step for somebody who's, who's dipping their toe into real estate. Right. Um, a couple of years later, you have equity. You can either, if your you know, career uh, has progressed as much as you wanted to or more than you thought it would, you could save that as an investment property or you can sell it and take the equity out of that and, and roll it into the next property, a, a little bit bigger place. Um, I, had a, I had a couple that was like that, a uh, young couple. Uh, they were not even married yet. Um, and they had saved like crazy. They bought their first condo with me. Um, and it is, uh, let's see, it's about 10 years later. And they just moved into a 4,000 square foot newly built home. Um, after having moved and traded up several times with all the equity that they had managed to accumulate uh, by buying their first condo in Glendale. It was this tiny little thing, and it was kind of ugly. And <laughs> it really was, but they got a great deal on it. And now they're in a 4,000-square-foot newly built home. I love, I love those stories because it's sort of the incremental approach to achieving your goals. It's patience, which, um, you know, I, I think... I think we're all guilty of from time to time um, not being as patient and waiting as much as we should, um, but getting into that first place. And like you said, trading up until all of a sudden you're in this dream house that started 10 years ago with this little hole in the wall condo. I think that, and, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, we get into this mind, this head place that it, there's no point in saving any money because I'm never going to accumulate enough for a down payment. Uh, that we hear that all the time. What's the point of saving this much if it's only, you know, X or, you know, whatever it is relative to how much they need to save. And that's a, that's a, a psychological hurdle that is difficult for people to get over. But, um, it, believe it or not, it all adds up little by little over time. And then going back to the compounding effect, um, it compounds on itself and grows on itself. That's, that's another reason why setting up an outside account that you really don't see that often is good because in a year you turn around like, oh, wow, there's $20,000 in that account versus um, looking at it every time you take cash out of the ATM and seeing it, you know, this, this, this account kind of 
once a week or once a month, however often, just staring back at you. Oh, out of sight, out of mind, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so, Matt, if anybody wanted to get a hold of you, and because Matt is a fee-only appraiser, uh, not appraiser, silly me, financial planner, um, and someone who really excels at helping people understand how to achieve their financial goals, how would somebody get a hold of you? What's the best way? Um, the best way is to, to uh, call our office or send me an email. And um, we generally, we set up a, a free consultation just to kind of learn what your goals are um, and what we do. And if we can marry those two together, um, assuming the um, home purchase would be one of those if, if you're getting information from the podcast. But uh, that's something we help clients with all the time. We have a, a, good, a good mix of younger and older clients who are um, looking to purchase houses or purchase second homes. Um, to help develop their investment portfolio. So I'll put all of that information in the show notes, but for people who are listening at home, what is the phone number they should call? Sure. The phone number uh, here, we're based in, in LA in the Valley is 818-272-8511. And, and your um, email address is? My email address is matt, M-A-T-T, at dot com. So that's sure. our, uh, and that our will company. also be in the show notes for anyone who is listening. Uh, didn't catch the spelling. It'll be right there for you to just cut and paste and send Matt a quick email and get on your way to financial independence and a 4,000 square foot home. Like maybe not the first one, but you know, <laughs> someday, someday. <laughs> Someday. Exactly. Dude, I really appreciate you spending the time with us on this one. Are there any parting notes before we leave each other? Uh, no, I think, I think, um, kind of getting your, putting your head down and, 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 and getting by and, and exploring all of your options, both in the real estate market and, uh, with your, uh, savings and your family is really the best way to go about this. Talking to people, what do you recommend? Where, what's a good option for me as far as what to buy? What's a good option for me as far as what to save? How much should I put down? The sooner you start that conversation, the more you'll get a better idea of what will work for you. That's awesome. And just to put in, you know, personal plug, the other part of it is the assumption that there is no way that you'll be able to afford to buy a home in this area. And I'm not going to lie to you, that might be true, but it might not. So why don't you give us a call and we'll help you to understand what your options are or are not, and perhaps suggest ideas that you haven't considered before to get you started on this journey. Matt, I can't wait to see you again in person, buddy. You're one of my favorite people, and uh, we will get you started on this whole journey. Thanks. Likewise. All right. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.